This is Phil Klein from Q2 Music, and I'm here with Seth Bostead of Relevant Tones. This is our new program, Soundword. What we just heard was the beginning of a piece by Hans Abrahamsen. He's a 63-year-old Danish composer who was the winner of this year's Grauemeyer Award for this piece, Let Me Tell You, which is based on the words of Ophelia in Hamlet, but the words are all changed around by the writer Paul Griffiths. And that performance featured Barbara Hannigan, for whom the piece was written, and the Bavarian Radio Symphony, conducted by Andres Nelsons. I chose this, well, for two reasons. One, it's a new release. But secondly, this is a piece that people in New York are still talking about. It was oh, sometime in early January when the word was getting around about this piece, and people were saying, have you heard it? Have you heard it? It's unbelievable. You've got to go to Carnegie Hall. The Cleveland Orchestra performed it on January 16th here in New York, and it was amazing. I have never seen an audience so quiet for so long. At the end of that piece, no one was breathing. It was absolutely spellbinding, and and I think we all had the feeling that, like, I think this is a work we're going to be talking about for a long time. So you just heard a little bit of it. And he's such a fascinating composer, I think, too. I mean, this is a guy that stopped writing music for 10 years Mm. while he kind of pondered his next move. I mean, he's in his 60s now. He's, he's getting all his attention, in part, like you said, because of Barbara Hannigan. That piece, Sinead, Snow, is another yep. piece that's being done all over the place. Everything he writes is about snow and ice. Right. Well, yeah, he's, <laughs> he's Danish. <laughs> <laughs> but what he's doing is so interesting to me. It just seems it's a very personal voice. I mean, I think the 10 years that he wasn't writing were well spent. I also find it fascinating. You mentioned that the text is from uh, Ophelia, from Hamlet, but uh, it's all that it is, is words that Ophelia says in Hamlet. Like you said, just Rearranged, there's yeah. no other word whatsoever <laughs> in the text that doesn't appear in a, one of well, Ophelia's Apparently speeches. that's a total of 450 words. So you've got something to work with, but it, no, Paul Griffiths has to be mentioned for the, the brilliant work. This was actually arranged as a little novella before Abrahamson said it, but I noticed uh, Abrahamson was a member of a little group of composers that were called, uh, what was the New Simplicity is what they called their thing. And it it reminded me of that film movement that came out of Denmark called um, Dogma. And the Scandinavian filmmakers, mainly Danish filmmakers, got together and, and said, we are going to make films of the utmost simplest you know means. They have to be shot in one day. They have to be shot with one camera, no costumes, no this. Uh, one great film came out of it called Celebration. I think, what was the names of the, or the director, Thomas Vinter or something like that? At, at any rate, among the Danes, there's this interesting reaction to what's going on in Europe. Both of those, Dogma and the New Simplicity, were like reactions against Germany, reactions against complex modernism, like let's go. The Danes have their thing about solitude, <laughs> you know? Absolutely. So let's hear a little bit more of Let Me Tell You. I chose this particular movement because of one unbelievable orchestral passage as we mentioned before, there's there's a lot of ice and snow 
and the music of Abrahamson. We're not kidding. His best-known work is a chamber work called Schnee, which is snow, and he's currently working on an opera, which is a version of Hans Christian Andersen's The Snow Queen. So an opera, <laughs> a frozen opera is coming up from Abrahamson. Anyhow, in this particular piece, there's an image of ice and glass, and the entire orchestra suddenly becomes like shards of breaking glass and shattering ice, and it's especially in the concert hall, but pretty much here at home, too. It's overwhelming. So let's hear that.
That was another section from Let Me Tell You by Hans Abrahamsen, featuring the soprano Barbara Hannigan, for whom it was written, the Bavarian Radio Symphony Orchestra conducted by Andres Nelsons. As I was saying before, that particular section has an overwhelmingly beautiful part where every high register of the, the orchestra can muster, violin, harmonics, percussion, piccolos are all playing sort of chromatically and microtonally together in these cascading you know, like an avalanche of ice. It's fascinating because in some ways the piece sounds small at times. It sounds like it could be a chamber orchestra, but this is the Bavarian Radio Symphony, and I think every single member has something to do. I saw it, I saw it performed by the Cleveland Orchestra, and it seemed like everybody had something to do, although I have a feeling this piece could be scaled down a bit, but... How do you lose those doublings, though? There's so many interesting coloristic doublings that he does, yeah. especially when they start that chromatic downward scale passage. Mm-hmm. Then, like you said, it's, it's a bit microtonal as well. They all are kind of, they're unison, then they kind of spread out microtonally from there. It provides this insanely, almost eerie, I mean, beautiful passage. And then it starts over again. Yeah, <laughs> you think, this could yeah. potentially go on forever. No, I mean, I, I always hate it when academics talk about clean clean writing and perfection and stuff like this but i did sort of get that feeling with this piece it's like wow that's that's kind of perfect isn't it so what you got well i want to go a different direction so i just got back from a festival slash conference uh it's kind of a hybrid event called classical next in rotterdam um so i traveled out there there were a thousand plus people all talking about the future of classical music. Uh, oh, no. uh, <laughs> yeah. And that's actually one of the things I don't like all the hand wringing about classical music. I, I truly believe classical music will be fine, most likely. There's I mean, there are so many going people... on for it to stop yet. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, some orchestras may go down, some, some may not. The orchestra itself may not be a viable body. I'm not totally sure. We just heard a fantastic orchestra piece. But nonetheless, classical music itself, and of course, that definition, I mean, and this is one of the things that happened at Classical Next, too. We go around and round and round about the definition of classical next. But I mean, it, w- it was really interesting to talk to people about how they're presenting music in different ways. And I met this guy, Tiago Curry, from Sao Paulo. And he has uh, he, his group is called Musica Estranja, or just Strange Music. And, you know, his idea is that, and his music is very beautiful. But no matter is who you talk ensemble? to. Is that an ensemble? A performing mm-hmm. ensemble? It's a performing ensemble. No matter who we talk to, especially people outside of the field, they would just be like, uh, you know, they would always describe the music as dark. <laughs> you know, it's, <laughs> it's dark, you know, because the strings are kind of just a dark kind of color. Moody and romantic. Exactly. Yeah. And he thought, you know, this is, it's extraneous for people. They don't know what it is. So I'm just going to call it what it is. <laughs> Strange yeah. Music is his series. And I kind of like that idea. Uh, now, he says all of this, of course, with a smile. He's a very, you know, smiley type of guy. And uh, so anyway, he gave me a CD, as, as people are wont to do. I, I don't know about you, Phil, but I can't go anywhere without attracting CDs like magnets <laughs> as soon as people find out what I do. Uh, but, you know, I tend to listen to, to most things that I'm handed. And I really liked his piece. Uh, it's called Four Visions. And it's for Piano Trio. The Epiphania Piano Trio here is another Brazilian group that's performing. So they're all very short movements. So I want to play them all. It's Nocturne and then Passage, Infancy and Grandma Sleeps. So here is the Epiphania Piano Trio to perform music of Brazilian composer Tiago Curry.
That's music by Brazilian composer Tiago Curi. It's in four movements, and they are Nocturne, Passage, Infancy, and Grandma Sleeps. These are like four visions. In fact, that is the title of the piece, Four Visions. We're at the Epiphania Piano Trio performing. I'm Seth Bostead with Relevant Tones here with Phil Klein from Q2 Music. We are taping a show called Soundword featuring a whole lot of new music, music that I had not heard before. Phil brought it in, some music that I brought in that I had not heard before, and we're pretty sure you haven't heard it before either, no. so we're happy to share <laughs> it with you today. Phil, I brought that piece in partly because I thought it was really differentiated from everything else that we brought in today, mm-hmm. so just kind of bringing in something different. But I also like the way he writes. There's a kind of sincerity in what he's doing. I mean, mm. I'm always interested in composers that are, that are unafraid to write romantic pieces, you know, I mean, to call your piece Grandma Sleeps. I mean, that's a real, right. you know, a, a statement in a way. It's, it's a, a very sincere gesture. Kind of thing, yeah. No, I, I don't get the feeling that he's an overly academic composer. <laughs> and again, this is somebody that I just met in, in Rotterdam. And uh, he runs his own series. He's kind of this new hybrid composer who composes, but also produces and, and has a concert series and does a lot of things like that. In fact, there was a, uh, and this is something I'd love to chat with you about too. There was a little kind of contingency within Classical Next. Tiago, a guy named Gabriel Prokofi about in London, a couple of others that He's are- the uh, grandson? The of, grandson of, of Sergei Prokofiev. Yeah. Right, exactly. And these guys are forming this little movement that they're calling Indie Classical, <laughs> which is a term I don't- Particularly oh, here in New myself. York, that term is despised. You know, <laughs> is you, that right? If you, if you toss that to somebody, well, <laughs> most notably a couple of years ago on social media, it was Nico Muley who was just you. If you said three blocks away, if you heard somebody say indie classical, he would just explode. And... <laughs> if I had known that, I would say that to him just to, just to get the reaction. <laughs> well, oh, please, please. <laughs> it's it's a, it's a term I don't. Nobody like. likes the, it. the word it indie. Isn't isn't right? I mean, this is not. Yeah. I don't feel of myself. As, well, I am an independent composer, but not like independent from the mainstream because there isn't a huge mainstream in yeah. classical music. I was never sure what the term exactly meant, so I wasn't quite sure why some people were outraged by it. But... Yeah, I think it's more like DIY classical is what they're thinking. Yeah, which but... is fine with me. I mean, but the implications are are uh, you know, I mean, is there a grunge classical, a subset of indie classical? Is oh, there, I hope. You know? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I've I've been there. I know that. But... Do we have sopranos who sing like you know the Pearl Jam guy, like Eddie Vedder? That we... hmm. <laughs> that kind of '90s, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that would be hilarious. <laughs> well, speaking of non-academic, I know we're about to hear a piece of music by a composer I'd never heard of before, Scott McLaughlin, Irish composer, which is interesting in itself. I would have, a few years ago, I would have never thought of Ireland as being sort of an emerging center of modern classical composition, but it's becoming that, which is, is great. But I looked up Scott McLaughlin and I noticed this is his own description of his own music on his own website. The research is compositional, a practice-led exploration of the physical materiality of sound and the local teleology of performance, combining approaches from experimental music with dynamical systems theory and philosophy to explore autopoiesis and recursive feedback systems in constant-based open-form composition, especially concerning resonance and perceptual ambiguity on both macro, formal, and micro-spectral scales. The music is concerned with relationships between minimal processes of transformation and proliferation, ideas of recursion, hysteresis, difference, cluster microtonality, chaos, complexity theory, and interactivity. I have an app that actually translates that (laughs) into English. (laughs) On the other hand, if you just listen to the piece of music, you'll go, 
wow, that's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> Which is more where my head normally is. I'm so. always a little suspicious of process-based music, but in this case, I was really captivated by this piece by Scott McLaughlin. Now, I did not go to the website and read <laughs> yeah, good. Uh, <laughs> how the piece Let, was Let's composed. listen to it. Let's, <laughs> right, I'm not sure I would have listened if I had read that. But at any rate, let's, let's do listen to it because it's a wonderful piece. It's gorgeous. It's called At Least Two Things from his album, There Are Neither Holes Nor Parts. This is the Trio Scordatura performing music of Scott McLaughlin.
That's music by Irish composer Scott McLaughlin. It's called At Least Two Things from his album There Are Neither Holes Nor Parts. We're hearing the trio Scordatura, Bob Gilmore on cello, and the vocalists are Elizabeth Smalt and Alfred Schmidt. Brought that piece in for this edition of Soundword with Phil Klein from Q2 Music, and I'm Seth Bosted with Relevant Tones. You can find out more at relevanttones.com or at q2music.org. We opened the program with music of Hans Abrahamsen, 63-year-old Danish composer who is coming into a period of considerable notoriety right now. One of his teachers was Per Norgard, another Danish composer who at an even older age is now becoming famous. Yeah, and this is a piece that I wanted to bring in. He was featured on the New York Phil's Biennial. They closed it out, actually, with the U.S. premiere of his Eighth Symphony. And I thought it was such a great work, and, and it got me interested in Per Norgard. And then when I saw that you were bringing in Abrahamson, I thought, okay, this could, this could work. I've got Norgard on my radar at the moment. So this isn't exactly a new release, but I was very interested in his Eighth String Quartet. In addition to writing a lot of symphonies, he also was very prolific, or may still be prolific, in the String Quartet realm and this this music is is wonderfully contained it, it is as you pointed out phil when we were talking about this earlier he has this kind of systemic way of writing he has a he's a process kind of oriented composer and in fact alan gilbert was explaining that to the audience for the eighth symphony because he, he said this is a slippery fish and he even took the time <laughs> to play a little bit of each of the four movements for us we'd have scandinavia fish it all comes together you know, it's like... <laughs> you know it was a perfect description though the piece is a slippery fish i mean it just it goes it by this it's very yeah it's a smoked slippery fish there's very little to grab onto at any particular moment, which I yeah. think drove a lot of people crazy. People well, I think were in saying, his case, the number games, unlike unlike like Schoenberg and that whole you know process that we know so well, the number games aren't there to lead. To, they're sort of there to protect us from something. It's a way of not falling into the romantic pit or whatever they consider it. I, it reminds me in a way of Messiaen's bird songs because I believe he used bird songs to find a way to find melodies that were not human, you know, to sort of like have that distance and then react to it with all of his heart. And it just comes up with a different result. And I think the same is true here. Absolutely. I, one of the complaints people were saying was, I like music that develops, that goes somewhere. And I'm like, well, this isn't that. This is a different concept. I mean, he's very interested in Eastern philosophy as well, in addition to these systems and processes that he uses. And so the music doesn't do that at all. And you'll hear that in the string quartet as well. It's it's music that is almost eternal in nature. It, 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 there's no reason for it to ever end, <laughs> really. There's no exact moment where you can go, oh, yeah, that's the climax of the piece. I mean, that doesn't make sense to talk about these kinds of things in his music. So I brought in a little bit of the eighth quartet, which is called Night Descending, and I want to play the movement called Night Descends Like Smoke. See? Smoke. Smoke, exactly. Right. Smoke's in. Here is the Kroger Quartet to perform the music of Paranorgard.
It's haunting music by Per Norgard. We're hearing a movement from his eighth string quartet called Night Descends Like Smoke. And the string quartet itself is called Night Descending. That was the Kroger Quartet performing music that I brought in for Soundword. I'm Seth Bostead with Relevant Tones here in the studio at WQXR with Phil Klein from Q2 Music. This is our second episode of Soundword. It's been a lot of fun to tape it. <laughs> Speak for yourself. I don't know. Phil, you were talking about the process that Norgard uses while we were yeah, listening to it, that. Was it the Infinite Series? The is Infinite that Series. Yeah, I think it's exactly what, like what we were talking about before we heard it, this, this kind of method by which you can produce sound that, that doesn't need well, to Well, it's develop. like a musical virus. Instead of a 12-note row, you can have a million-note row, and it kind of spirals like DNA into infinity. It's, it's, it's an amazing thing. But like I said, it's like he uses it to keep this distance to like sort of give him – composers often look for infinity, but they often look for control, something that will limit the – think of David Lang. You know, He starts by, I'm going to use three pitches or whatever. You know, It's just like a very – and in that, you find your liberation. Yeah. I was thinking of Feldman too with those very long mm. pieces, but nobody's written an infinite piece yet. And Satie, who we're going oh. to next, wrote some very long pieces as well. <laughs> yeah. Uh, as a matter of fact, when we were recently doing a little tip of the hat to Satie's 150th birthday, I I was researching the sort of the John Cage discovery of Satie, which oh, – two steps. He, in the 40s, he started – when he was arranging Socrat actually, which – a more of that in a minute, but uh, in the late fifties, Cage organized a performance of Vexations, which is like a three-minute piano piece by Satie. But on on the page, and this is an unpublished piece that they found in his room after he died. There's this note that says, "In order to perform this piece eight hundred and forty times, one what some must become overcome by immobilities." And Cage said, okay, let's do it. We're going to perform it 840 times and repeat it 840 times. It took them like a day, <laughs> you know, 16 hours, something like that. And they played the piece. And nowadays people are having vexations festivals. And then Cage wrote an organ piece that was sort of based on vexations, which depending on the interpretation – now there's a performance of it set up in a church in Germany right now, which won't be over for 600 years. There you go. OK. Now we're getting so, close to infinity. At any rate, <laughs> back to the godfather of all this, Eric Satie. I wanted to bring in this – well, for two reasons. One, great record. Uh, maybe three reasons. The second would be Satie's recent 150th birthday, which got me to thinking all about him again and loving him maybe 840 times as much as I ever did. But third, the year of Barbara Hannigan is upon us again. Uh, just a few weeks ago, this CD came out featuring Barbara Hannigan singing and Reinbert DeLeu, who is one of my heroes at the piano. If you don't know DeLeo, he's a composer, performer. He must be in his 70s now. I know he was associated with Yale for a while, so we would see him performing in New York. And he's an amazing conductor, an amazing guy too. He's just one of those guys who as soon as you hear him talk, you want to just sit there and listen to, you know, it's like listening to your brilliant grandfather or something. And this record is stunning. They do a handful of Sati songs from the 1890s, and then they do what some people consider Sati's masterpiece, which is like this static cantata called Socrat based on the death of Socrates. So maybe we should start by hearing one of the movements from Socrat. This is the second movement. And Satie not only – well, he, he used Plato's text from the books he wrote about uh, Socrates. And not only that, he used a really stilted old-fashioned translation to make it sound as dead as possible. So th this is a piece of music that where nothing happens – very slowly and it's kind of amazing which uh, – what can I tell you? Think of the late 20th century. 
Yeah, can I ask what Satie's intention was? I mean, sometimes he wrote music and, and instructed the audience not to listen to it, not to pay attention to yeah. it. And he had such a, not even self-effacing, but just this idea mm-hmm. of, you know, like you said, ridiculousness. Yeah. Was, is that present in Socrat? Was he thinking that? Or was he thinking this is his think, masterpiece? Yeah, I don't it? think so. Oh, well, Satie, I, I find him really interesting and complex and in, in many ways multi-layered because there's all, there is that sort of attitude that he projected at times, especially early on in the 1890s, turn of the century, which was this absurdity. Um, at the same time, it wasn't long after that that he, like Abrahamson, stopped writing music for a good five years, was disgusted with everything he was doing, and he went to school. <laughs> Sati <laughs> went to school for five years. And apparently, unlike his first turn at the Paris Conservatoire, where he was considered the worst student of all time, this time he was a good student. And he came out of it writing a, a much more exacting kind of music, a lot of faster and funnier than the early stuff. And then there's the occasional piece like Socrat, which is a 20-minute long piece for a, a vocalist and either piano or, or a small chamber orchestra. And it is just sublime. He obviously poured himself into this. This is totally serious about you know Satie. There's always a seriousness underneath the joking. His joking is dead serious. And this piece is just – it's just one of those things where you look at it and you just shake your head. It's like, I don't know how he came up with that, but there it is. And here it is performed by Barbara Hannigan with Reinbert DeLeu at the piano. Oh. 
That was soprano Barbara Hannigan with pianist Reinbert DeLeu performing the second movement from Eric Satie's Socrat, which is a portrait of Socrates drawn from Plato's Symposium. Kind of an unlikely setting for a, for a song cycle, but there it is, and it's one of my favorite things on earth. That brand new recording is pretty incredible. You're listening to Soundward. This is Phil Klein here with Seth Bostead. We're listening to new stuff, and one of the new things I brought in is a little bit old, but for me, always new. And Socrat, hey, it was written in the last century, 1918 to be precise. I feel like I, I know Satie, but then there's these pieces like this that crop up from time to time, and I say, oh, I don't know Satie at all. <laughs> this is a, <laughs> the composer's a, an enigma. He's a little deeper than just those short, funny pieces that you get to know first. Well, thanks for bringing it in. That was great. You're to, welcome. To, uh, to, to be introduced to new old music by Satie <laughs> and a wonderful performance, as you said. Thanks so much to Phil Klein, to Hannes Brown for engineering these sessions, and to Q2 New Music. Relevant Tones has been produced by Sarah Zwinkless and is made possible by the generous support of the Aaron Copeland Fund for Music and the listener supporters of WFMT. This project is supported in part by an award from the National Endowment for the Arts, Art Works. I'm Seth Bosted. And this is the WFMT Radio Network Chicago.